I never clap loudly. It really doesn't happen. I think my hands are hollow. No, listen. <laughs> Don't clap anymore. That's it. Do not clap. Hello. Here it is again. This never happens. The podcast that thinks it's a fanzine. Yes, really. You should have heard the discussion on how to edit the locks. It was worse than a debate over whether we should call them locks or emocks, or my favourite, podlocks. I'm Christina. The date of recording is 2nd of September, but if I put the episode together, you'll be lucky if you hear it by December. Well, I'm Ian, and I sounds like I'm the former editor of this podcast. I hope not. <laughs> I'm Lillian, and a podlock sounds like a character from an Ursula Le Guin trilogy, I think. Yeah, or possibly H.G. Wells. Maybe a more Game of Thrones. So, uh, what's on the recipe today, Jim? <laughs> Is Jim the new member <laughs> yeah, of the, the team? <laughs> I can't remember. All I know is that Lillian says we're not starting for highs and lows. So that's my agenda out the window. All right. The first section of the podcast this week um, is entitled New Mutants and Mutant Algorithms. Um, we all laughed a lot at Boris saying to um, a captive group of school pupils uh, that um, the A-level results disaster was all down to, you know, the mutant algorithm that had got mm. loose from the laboratory and wreaked havoc in Tokyo, you know. It was obviously the size of Godzilla. Um, when, of course, everyone who knows anything about algorithms, which is, uh, I think, all the members of the podcast team, um, knows that an algorithm is just a, a, a software tool written by people to perform the function that they tell it to. So the problem with the A-level Farago was that they decided that they were much more interested in the aggregate societal goal of reducing grade inflation as opposed to the individual goal of giving individual justice to all the little kitty winkles. You know, your Jean and John and all the rest of it. And to try and blame that on a mutant algorithm that got away from a Petri dish is really, really annoying to me <laughs> as someone who's spent way too much time in the last four years dealing with biased algorithms. Um, what was particularly funny about this algorithm, actually, is that all the previous mutant algorithms that people have complained about, like the one, for example, that told the black people that they had to stay in jail while letting the white people out of jail, which is the kind of classic example, is that in these cases, the mutant result was unsuspected, right? It happened because there was biased data that produced a biased result, yeah? So the system learnt rules that were bad rules, you know, rules that said, Black people are more likely to recommit crimes, whereas white people are more likely to go home and, you know, watch Breaking Bad. Is this an algorithm or, or AI that you're talking about here? It doesn't really matter. I mean, people talk about uh, algorithms and machine learning as AI. But yeah, I suppose the point I was trying to make is that while most algorithmic scandals um, have been about... Uh, undesirable rules emerging from the big data and then, you know, terrifying, horrifying the world. In this case, 
they this is the results they wanted you know they programmed it in specifically to ignore the individual justice of each individual pupil's case they virtually ignored the the teacher predictions except in edge cases uh, and they deliberately went for uh, a historic view that would not produce grade inflation and which would almost certainly be unfair to bright kids in poor schools, et cetera, et cetera. So in fact, there's, there's even less excuse. There's even less excuse for people to complain about what this one did and say it was the mutant algorithm that got away. So, yes, it was all horribly familiar to me because I used to be in charge of one of the computing exams in Scotland. I was the head examiner. I know it's hard to believe, but a very responsible position. And one of the jobs I had at the end of each exam uh, cycle was to decide the grade boundaries, who, got some, who gets an A, who gets a B, who gets a C. And it was determined uh, by a combination of the um, statistical model which suggested where the grade boundaries would be. And my professional judgment, or my team's professional judgment, <laughs> as to whether that really reflected the, the quality of the responses we'd got to the exam. This is even more horrifying uh, than the Mason algorithm. <laughs> well, it is, but at least what we were looking at is we were looking, uh, in this case, at actual exam results. Yeah. And what we're trying, to, what you're trying to gauge in that is... What's the quality of the exam? Is the exam as hard or, or, or was it easier than previous years? Uh, and if, you know, there's a huge bulge of um, pupils getting extra good marks, is that because of the cohort being a particularly good, clever cohort? Or is it that the exam was just a bit too easy? So my job was to say... This was actually a pretty good exam. There must just have been some quite good kids, so the bulge is a bit, you know, we'll give more A's this year than we normally do, or the reverse. But every now and again, around two in the morning, when I was sitting marking exam scripts, I would get an exam paper from some kid who was as thick as mince, as we say in Scotland. <laughs> and they would, by dint of answering partial questions and giving vague answers they would get 51 percent mm. at which point i would know that the pass mark that year was going to be 52 <laughs> because that little shite was not going to get a, oh a C. if only we could do that in universities that's yes, very very familiar story <laughs> particularly with open book exams when you can really really see that they made a desperate attempt to data mine, you know, section 29 and then went to the back of the book and found something in the appendix to the e-commerce director mm. and miraculously actually hit things that answered the question. <laughs> so, have, have we run algorithms to death now? Um, I guess. But yeah, it did, it did the only bit about the mutant algorithm that I really amused me, which is, I think, why we started talking about it in the first place, um, was that various people I know immediately seized on this and said that it was all about teenage mutant ninja algorithms. 
you know, and people did various mashups of the logo and the turtles and all the rest of it. And there was this brief moment of kind of 90s nostalgia swept through my, my bubble on Twitter. Um, and I was the only one who went, actually, I think this is about the New Mutants because the New Mutants film is finally about to come out on September the 4th. So clearly Boris is a big fan, you know. I wouldn't like to um, stigmatise the New Mutants by putting Boris anywhere near them but Aww. i am excited about the new mutants film even though it's probably going to be rubbish i don't know i haven't me saying i have no idea what you're talking oh, about the so. new mutants me and christina used to love the new mutants I, mean, what we talking oh, I thought you were about to say you and Iliana. christina were new mutants well there is actually a real connection to this never happens the original fanzine because i think mm -hmm. Uh, those two characters that are on the front of the original artwork, for those who are yeah. paying attention to the sleeve <laughs> notes, if you're on the right right kind of podcast platform, you'll see all the original covers as we go along. And I think those characters are partly from Blake 7, but also partly from the New Mutants, because there was a lead character called Ilyana, and I think I was Liliana. But if this never happens, we weren't Ileana, you were Anaconda, and I was Serpentina the Sad. Mm. And I always thought That's it was true. based on a legion of superhero characters, because you had power rings and oh, things really? like that. Oh, I thought it was based on Blake Seven. Oh yeah, and Blake Seven. <laughs> I think that's as far as we're going with mutants this time. Yeah. You're not going to go with the Scottish mutants, who were the teenage ginger and Mutant turtles. No, no, no. we're leaving no. that one out. No, no. no. Um, it's this guy, Bill Thompson, who's a BBC Scotland reporter, and he's also the mm -hmm. guy who does BBC Click, which you might have watched, yeah, occasionally. Boys and Girls. Um, so Bill Thompson is like the lead producer or whatever on it. I don't think he's necessarily the presenter and he's really fun. So he's having online coffee mornings every so often and I was at one this morning. I thought you we meant talking Scott's coffee morning. No, I didn't get to that. I went to this one, which is much cooler. <laughs> <laughs> although although the, it's only ever so often, you know, so I try and turn up for it. Um, and it's all, it's all frustrated musicians really and and everyone it's like a bad twitter thread everyone goes oh and you know you really should go and look at my album on Bandcamp. or here's my mini ukulele you'd have loved it here this woman pulled out her <laughs> mini ukulele at one point held it up against a large size ukulele then someone else brought out the guitar and started comparing it you know and uh, so i felt very dull it felt like you know everyone had a soundcloud but me you know mm. um so anyway what we were talking about was podcasts, you know, um, because several people did a podcast and, and they were talking about, you know, taking out the pauses and so forth. And they were saying what we really need is, is a bit where we can take out when either someone starts to talk about Trump, you know, or says something racist or makes a pun. <laughs> so what we need is AI automated machine learning that can recognise puns and just take them automatically out of the transcript. Yes, but what I see that as being is a great opportunity that you can use machine learning to 
recognise and extract puns and then put them all together <laughs> and have pun, 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 pun. It'd be like a and new we're gonna weapon. have pun, pun, pun till the machine takes our learning away. <laughs> I want to have something called solecisms and syzygies. <laughs> I've just been oh, thinking yeah. about that while that was going on. I just like the phrase. I don't know what a syzygy mm. is either. Actually. Yeah, and I can't even pronounce it. Syzygy? I know what easy. syzygy is. <laughs> what is it, syzygy. Ian? Syzygy has got two meanings, one biological and one astronomical. Lord. And I only know this because Theodore Sturgeon did a story called It Wasn't Syzygy. And I had to look it up. So it, it's to do with plant reproduction. Oh, I knew that. That's right. A, yeah. Asexual plant mm -hmm. reproduction. Oh, being asex man. also, <laughs> <laughs> you were the original asex girl. Yeah. But do you remember when we were talking about monocellular reproduction and being asex man? Yeah. I think that was in the fanzine. <laughs> that was in yeah. the fanzine. In the original, this never happens. There was a running joke about being asex mad that was attached to, you know, asexual reproduction, but I can't remember. And that. I'm sure it had something to do with Desmond <laughs> Decker and the Israelites. <laughs> but I'm not sure what. <laughs> the listeners what? can't see, but my tongue just fell out my head because I don't remember that bit, I have to say. Israelites. Israelites. Should we just yes, sing through quite. this podcast? No, please not. I thought I should add in a quick insert here to explain the link between Desmond Decker and being asex mad. It's to do with a Burkas Way sketch from 1980, and there's a link to it in the podcast notes. The uh, Speaking of listeners, uh, I'm happy to report that uh, our most recent episode has had over 30 plays now. Yay. And that's just after a, a week and a half or something it's been out. I'm it's very gone up from 22 on the 26th of August. Good Lord. Yeah. This is like being on election <laughs> night special. It's at 33 now. <laughs> Going up all the time. Shall I listen yeah. to it as we talk and then it'll be 34? <laughs> <laughs> that's a good idea. One of those could be my mother, which is terrifying. <laughs> That's actually a fun story of this week, um, not to do with the mutant algorithm as such, but to do with the mutant virus, so tangentially linked, is that they've imposed um, a sort of partial lockdown on Glasgow oh, yeah. for the virus, mm -hmm. which I'm, I must admit, you know, it does sort of come a bit near to home. And I went like, oh, for God, you know, my mother will be melting down because my whole family, dear listeners, is in Glasgow, right? Um, so I went and looked it up on Google Maps because it's Greater Glasgow, East Renfrewshire and somewhere else that I can't recall. Um, and East Renfrewshire, which is the one I knew was relevant, stops two miles away <laughs> from where my entire family live. <laughs> As if there is a kind of force field in place. <laughs> and I said to my mother, this is really lucky, you know, and because Busby, Newton Merns, all these places we go all the time are in the zone, but you're not. And she said, that's why we pay higher rates. <laughs> I was going to say that the force field was obviously going to be money. <laughs> yeah, indeed, indeed. <laughs> I heard right. it from my mother that was quite smart, actually. <laughs> Can I do my highs and lows then? Yeah, yeah. 
Go, go, go. Okay, I'm going to start with a low. <laughs> the low point of the week was trying to master audacity. So, oh. Ian sent us a tutorial. I was doing really well. I'd found the clap and everything. That's, a, that's what we do at the beginning to synchronise our separate recordings. Anyway, it sounded like we were all in sync, though sometimes it was hard to tell whether we were or not because it just sounded like we were actually talking, but we were actually emoting into our own separate microphones. And you could probably put the conversations together in any order and it'd still be fine. But anyway, it was all going well. So um, then I came back to it a few days later to do the sound balance stuff and discovered that the file I'd saved had speeded up so that Lillian was laughing like a psychotic chipmunk and Ian was sounding oh. like an angry Scotswoman. I was just cha I was just channeling my inner Nicola Sturgeon. <laughs> uh, she's she's quite base, quite base profunda, I think actually. We could do the Janie Godley. I was Godley gonna say we it. should do the Janie Godley version of this podcast. Um, you can all go back to your homes now. I want to go home and put my fried chicken on. <laughs> Frank, get the door. I wish I understood what you were going on about. <laughs> you will, you will. It can't be that, so, it can't be that difficult. So what happened? Tell us, Christina. Did you manage to get yourself out of this slough of despond where everyone was speeded up. It could just be that your perceptions had slowed down. Yeah. And I realised I just didn't have the slightest idea what I was trying to achieve from sound balance, apart from the making some dots appear. Mm. So then I gave up. <laughs> I gave up for the evening. And that is a history of my <laughs> low point in audacity. My high point of the week was um, discovering that my yoga class is coming back, a real-life yoga class, wow, in a real-life studio with real-life people <laughs> as opposed to a tiny square on my iPad. Yeah, yeah. Um, because somehow, despite the fact that everyone and their dog has been doing, what is it, Wake Up with Adrienne, that it <laughs> even got onto Dead Ringers, you know, sexy Adrienne. Um Somehow there's something about doing yoga on your own which just does not work. It's very, very onanistic. Um, it's just like you feel like, why am I doing this? I could just lie there on the ground and never move again, you know? <laughs> um, so it just doesn't work. So it turns out that, actually, because talking to Christina in Cornwall, as we were, that all of the kind of physical group work things seem to be reopening. So like Christina's running club, my yoga studio... The pools, the pools in the gyms. Um, so I'm negotiating at the moment to join a new gym that's horrendously expensive that has both an outdoor pool and an indoor pool. And I'm going to go and see it on Saturday, in fact. Um, so this is wonderful. Uh, I just think, you know, like the world, the world that I like is coming back to life it's, as opposed to this world we're meant to live in, where all we're interested in is pubs and giving money to prep to buy sandwiches. Um, whereas I'm actually much more interested in swimming and yoga. So, Christina, if you want to talk about running. <laughs> you make yourself sound so healthy. Right, yeah. I am a bit healthy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you've never been to a pub or, or eaten out to help out or any of those things. Eat out to be a beast. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I call it. Anyway, yesterday I went back to running club. So that was exciting. Actually, I was meant to go back to running mm. club on Thursday, but uh, there was too much rain and the Channel 4 field where we meet 
was flooded, so I couldn't go back there. Oh. <laughs> can I just interrupt? <laughs> Channel 4 field. I wasn't even going to question that one. Is that is that a field where you go today or at PM? No, the reason... I was thinking... It was a high-definition field. <laughs> <laughs> now, the reason why it's called the Channel 4 field, and this always makes us laugh as well, is because it was a field where they had the Channel 4 area live. So when Channel 4 first happened, it needed kind of an extra uh-huh. new booster thing, and they put that up in the field. And ever since then, the field's been called Channel oh. 4 field. I'm not even sure if it's got an aerial in it anymore. It's just what it's called. My God. <laughs> God, they're short of ideas for naming fields in Cornwall. Oh, trust me. Do you know what you know what the main square in in Falmouth is called? It's called Event Square because they have events on it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I do remember that actually. I did think it was a bit all welly. Yeah, it's a bit new. But they did name it in the nineties. It's not like a Cornish thing at all. <laughs> I actually think this Channel Four field is is a brilliant thing because uh, as a geographer... I can see where this is going. (laughs) No, you can't because I don't know where it's going. As a a geography teacher, I started teaching geography way back in the 70s. You would look at an an OS map and uh, we used to tell kids it was like a palimpsest. Mm -hmm. You know, a palimpsest being a medieval parchment that is reused again and again by scraping off bits and writing your message in. And I so didn't know that. What we have nowadays is we have these documents that are bits of dozens and dozens of, of messages or, or texts from different eras that were reusing this scarce resource, which was parchment. Um, and the landscape, or as depicted on OS maps, is a palimpsest because you've got tumuli you know from the the iron age and you've got medieval castles and you you've got things that have been put in from from all different eras and it's the same with names you get ancient names and modern names and i just i would love to be a hundred years from now be a geography teacher explaining channel four field yeah well this is they they had drainage channels and this was the fourth this was the fourth Uh, that's right it's like covid19 which was of course the the 19th attempt to have this virus (laughs) as trump wisely told us so i I am strangely drawn to your your running club meeting. <laughs> I totally never knew that's what a poem says for. Did you so not? It's basically, well, you can. You learn it's basically like like that thing they gave me free with my first waitrose delivery. <laughs> that was like a whiteboard thing with a little belt tip, and you can wipe it off and then put back onto it the things that you're ordering next time. Yeah, that's called a white. <laughs> white. <set. laughs> it's a palimpsest. I will remember that. Now. <laughs> that's what it. Is. Anyway, back to running club. Mm. So it was a bit yeah. weird going back to running club because actually, after all the excitement with Channel Four Field, we were meeting for the first time at the cricket club. Oh, I knew you'd like me. that, being such fans of cricket as you two both are. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Because <laughs> we'd had to move just, in fact, we were due to move just before COVID happened. So we haven't actually met there before. So that was one thing that was a bit weird. We'd all had to bring a mask along with us and a card that um, 
said any medical conditions we might have and who our next of kin was, which sounded like we were very expected to be <laughs> struck, struck down by COVID <laughs> during the course of a run. Yeah. So the high point for me and Ian is that we have both managed to go to the dentist. Yay! Well, I go to my... <laughs> oh, okay. All right. Well, I have managed to... So, this is my special edition of The Crown. <laughs> that was Lillian's annual pun, because I don't make puns. Um, so, loyal readers will know that my front crown broke uh, a while ago and it was meant to be replaced just before lockdown and they had the replacement crown ready and everything and then like two days before I was due to go to the dentist I rang up and said are you sure you're going to stay open because like everything is closing this is when I had hot footed back to Edinburgh from London because London was closing down and they went yeah 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 and if we were going to close we'd let you know and then I got an email on the, the next day after the weekend to say we've been closed down da, da, da. <laughs> and then for the next five months i was stuck with my broken front crown which slowly drove me crazy as bits fell off it and it got sharper and sharper until i could lacerate my tongue with it at any given moment if i was mm. feeling particularly masochistic and finally i have had it taken out and my permanent crown put back in and i am happier than a happy thing on a happy stick <laughs> <laughs> Well, I hope that's that's the story of my visit tomorrow. I do hope so. It won't be, but I just <laughs> wish it was. <laughs> I do have an actual sort of high Ooh. point, uh, which is uh, hasn't happened. It won't happen for uh, uh, a few weeks yet. But I I got an invitation to an online wine tasting. Ooh. Which is very exciting. Yeah, that's good. Because they they send you the bottles, you open them <laughs> yourself, and then you 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 do a zoom and and everybody tastes. I want to do that desperately. Is it one of the ones where they send you out cute little bottles? I've seen yes, pictures. It's bottles. so cute. <laughs> but I was I was. This is uh, the the wine shop in uh, Sheffield that Yvonne and I used to go to very regularly, but we haven't been able to go to any of the wine tastings because. We don't live in Sheffield. So we would have to get a hotel for the night or a very, very expensive taxi ride home. Uh, but this means that we can just fall over in situ um, whilst drinking our little, tiny little bottles. I think there are various places in Edinburgh doing this. I keep I, I keep being yeah. inundated I, I mean, with them I have on Facebook. Yeah, yeah, I'd quite like to do yeah. it, but the trouble is I don't really know anyone else in Edinburgh to do it with. I could do it with you, but you're in Sheffield. <laughs> well, that, that was, I, I was talking to, to Mark, who organises it, uh, and he was saying, you know, all through the lockdown we've been doing these, but it's it's just impossible because generally it's a couple and we're doing nine wines and so they get nine half bottles so they've got four and a half bottles of wine mm. and they keep finishing each yeah. one <laughs> so by the time we're halfway through they're utterly pissed. that's why you need the cute little bottles well that's what it is they only they only do it with half bottles i was actually thinking they could have decanted it into this was a present this all ties all things together this was my birthday present from last year from christina and doug from cornwall was really cute little bottles of six different mm. cornish gins 
Yes. And when you gave me them, didn't we sort of drink Yeah, them? I think we had a little impromptu <laughs> gin tasting. <laughs> Which was fantastic. But then I found them just recently in the middle of lockdown and I actually took the remnants over and had them with my mother. <laughs> the yeah, gift that actually worked giving. out really well. But what I actually meant to do was have a large gin and tonic with that really amazing Cornish gin that you gave me, and which I then rebought, which has got is it the figgy. Pool? No, it's got samphire one, in it, yeah. Which All I really, samphire. really like. That's my favourite gin. There, there is a show that I've never got to see, and it's been at the Edinburgh Festival for years, and it, they, they do it in London at the Soho Theatre, which is uh, just it's the Thinking Drinkers. <laughs> Drinking and it's just fingers. two guys who come out and 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 <laughs> they me. drink and and the audience gets drinks and they get drinks and they just do a comedy routine while everybody's drinking. That sounds lovely, isn't that? Isn't that yes. basically the Edinburgh Fringe? I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I can't see any difference in that from the normal Fringe, really, or indeed life well, it, as we know. It, <laughs> It does get very good reviews, but you don't know how sober the people were who were doing <laughs> the reviews. Not very. <laughs> so here is our um, what we've been calling our media moments section, which we're expanding to be. Things that we've wanted to enthuse about from things that we've read, seen, listened to, watched over this kind of summer period, so maybe the last month or so. And um, as has been mentioned a few times, uh, I've just been on holiday to Cornwall visiting Christina and very bravely I had a car because uh, I don't really like driving and drove it quite a lot. Um, and I made this great discovery that I can enjoy driving even in a hired car. If I'm listening to podcasts at the same time, and this was my attempt to explore podcasts. Um, so there's one podcast that I've been meaning to listen to that I really, really enjoyed and just wanted to rave about, really, which people have been telling me to listen to for ages. And it's The Missing Crypto Queen um, by Jamie Bartlett, who's actually someone I almost slightly sort of know through my academic bubble, though I don't think I've ever met him. So I was quite curious. He's really a cybercrime expert, but he's also a journalist and kind of a sociologist. Um, and it is really about trying to track down this woman called Dr. Rouge. And, and people do sort of accentuate how he pronounces it, Dr. Rouge, uh, who's a Russian woman that essentially defrauded people of about four billion euros in a pyramid scheme that pretended to be a cryptocurrency, that pretended to be a crypto coin. So it combines various of my interests, since I'm interested in the blockchain and Bitcoin and consumer law and, you know, cybercrime and so forth and so on. But it's very well done. It's just really very well done. It's very engaging. It's got interesting music in the background. It's got whaley Bulgarian music that's a bit like Kate Bush had on one of those albums. Um, and it's just kind of amazing how it combines, I think, a very low-level understanding of how individual people are affected by a scam like this in various countries. They go to Uganda, they go to Bulgaria, and the high-level understanding of how people just don't understand things, don't understand technologies like cryptocurrencies, and therefore it's even more easy to scam them 
than usual. Uh, and it also has a kind of James Bond element to it almost in that they really are on a detective mission. It's a good MacGuffin to find this woman who disappeared having stolen all this money and no one knows that she's alive, dead or whatever. You know, at one point they investigate the chances of her having been completely reconstructed by plastic surgery, <laughs> which did seem slightly desperate. I think that may have been a week when they ran out of material. <laughs> went and talked to a plastic surgeon and they get to go and hang around the docks at Sofia and things like that turkey grease you name it uh the, the leaps of faith as to who they follow where don't always quite make sense you wonder if it's something to do with the budget so you know like one week they're in Bulgaria and then the next week they're in Frankfurt which isn't quite so exciting and you don't quite know why they're fixated on Frankfurt um but it's an absolute page turner or whatever the equivalent <laughs> is of a podcast. So I listened to the whole thing while driving from, you know, Bristol to Cornwall and then Cornwall to Bristol via Exeter. And I'm desperate, actually desperate for the next series because there's going to be a next series. And I don't think I've been this desperate to listen to a sequel for a really long time. So it's just a big plus recommendation. So, um... Yeah, what did everyone else read? Well, I was going to say my holiday reading probably isn't something that everybody will rush out to read, but I read it because partly because my sister, who is a, an Osborne book rep, um, kept talking about it. So she's been reading a lot of sort of YA books because um, then she can relate to the people that she's trying to sell things to. And one of them she told me was about a young adult who runs conventions so I thought all right I'll, I'll read this book it'll be a bit of a laugh to see what's what they've made up about conventions and so forth so I I downloaded this book on Kindle thereby disappointing my sister who expected me to buy it from her for eight pounds <laughs> only 99p oh. on Kindle anyway so it's called Unconventional by Maggie Harcourt and it, it's a young adult story of a teenage con runner um she's actually a second generation fan so her dad's kind of a big deal in the um, professional convention running circuit but also at heart a big fan of science fiction and all things geeky um so anyway it's a story of her romance with a young just published author you know the oh. <laughs> the usual stuff so anyway, this guy has written the next big thing in science fiction or fantasy or something and he's got a film contract and he's leading a glamorous life, going overseas, etc. And she's <laughs> stuck at the convention, stuffing envelopes and trying to get the hotel air con turned down and finding people's dogs <laughs> and all that kind of stuff. You know, there's not a lot to the plot, but I was just more interested in the way the convention was being represented mm. as this kind of... Mainly it's this kind of surreal backdrop of, you know, you have passing Batman, LARPers, cosplay, mm. etc. Um, but I did relate to one bit when there was there was a crisis because the Doctor Who writers had gone down the pub for lunch and not come back. They thought, yes, that is definitely an <laughs> observe. That is what they do. <laughs> and I like the way they had the conventions in lots of different places. Like they had one in Bristol and Edinburgh and so forth. So And you could kind of relate to some mm. of the hotels. 
that. So anyway, the other thing that wasn't quite like my experience was that there was no drinking in it. But I think that was because it's a young adult novel. So teenage <laughs> protagonist is not portrayed as doing lots of drinking. But there's drinking around the convention. And I thought you could just not have sex in YA, <laughs> yeah. like the Hunger Games, where they have to just keep kissing all the time, which Nuller really objected to. <laughs> yeah, I don't think there was any sex in it either. But there wasn't a lot of fun going on. So mainly what she did was she, they worked later, she and her other young friends who were all running the, uh, mainly seemed to be running the registration. Presumably they were being paid for it. Um, they'd all get up early for breakfast, open the registration desk and and not have a lot of fun and then crash in their beds at the end of the day. <laughs> It sounds like working in a call centre. Yeah. <laughs> Are you sure they weren't trying to do contact tracing? <laughs> they might as well have been. But I think the other thing, the thing I did think was impressive was that the book did get the whole thing about conventions being a bit like family and this whole community of people that... Mm-hmm. Likes, for example, she's a she's in sixth form at school, but she only and she go. Although it seemed in the book she was going to conventions every week, I think she only went every every two or three months. And the people that she worked with at the convention, in some ways, were her sort of closer friends than the people she sees on a day to day level. I was just going to say that I was curious because I've read a couple of books set at conventions and they always seem to have been murder mysteries, actually. So it's nice to have something that's more about romance. Must be Bimbles of the Death I did, I did read Bimbles of the Death Sun, but I also read another one that was more serious and long. What was the Rainbow Row one, Fangirl? Oh, that was... that was Oh, the Rainbow Row one was Yeah, I, I keep needing to read that. Oh, I loved... Didn't I give you that for No, a you didn't. Otherwise, I'd have read it by now. I loved... I loved it so much that I reread it. I had it in hardback and then I think I bought it, not in hardback, I had it in paperback and then I bought it on Kindle as well because I was somewhere and I was just seized <laughs> with the desire to read it again because it's one of these books that's so soothing. You can read it when you're ill, you know. I think I read it while I had COVID-19, <laughs> you know that. Oh my God. Um, but it's not at a convention. It's never at oh, a convention. Right. It's all it's all in sort of her dorm on campus. Uh, it's yeah. all about her being in first year university. So again, it's very evocative actually of the going as a geek girl first year university not having any friends not wanting to go and eat in the communal canteen so living entirely on protein bars in your dorm sort of thing you know and finally meeting the one man in the world who is both like really good looking and is attracted to this <laughs> no, no to this lifestyle of crumbs in the bed, comfort you know. reading Oh, God, it was such comfort reading. I can't tell you. And the best bit about Fangirl while we're on it is um, that it has a story within a story, which I'm an absolute sucker Oh, I hate that. I hate stories. Oh, I love it. I love it. I love nested stuff. It's so pomo. That might almost be why I didn't might have been one of the reasons oh, why I've not no, read it. No, no, no. So what she's writing is fan fiction yeah. about a set of novels, which are essentially Harry Potter. So it's really nested within nested, because although you never actually get bits of the Harry Potter novel, which I forget the name of, you do get some of the, quite a lot of the fan fiction about it, because actually the way that the, the, the amazingly wonderful, gorgeous, ideal boyfriend gets her into bed is that he reads out her fan fiction to her this kind of soothes her it's really lovely um and then she obviously loved this world so much which and who could blame her because it's all great uh that she wrote another one that's called carry on 
which is the original novels, but but sort of transformed by the fan fiction into being, you know, the, the gay slash fantasy of your dreams, you know? So it's all amazingly Pomo. I just love it, really love it. Go and read this, Rainbow Rowell. Everything she writes is really good, actually. <laughs> yes, sorry, the reason I broke in, sorry, sorry, was that I just wondered if in these in this book, is he obviously costuming or whatever, or Comic-Con? Because that's what irritates me, is that they're always about people LARPing or dressing up or whatever, which isn't the world we inhabit in our in our con. Well, this is where I, what I was coming on to, is that, yes, overall, that is the world that she's describing. But there is one bit where she gives... Um, she actually delineates the, diff- the different tribes who are at this convention... Uh, typical late night tribes and so she starts with this is a disturbing one over there in the black t-shirts with the beards those are the old timey sci-fi bras they don't go to any of the panels or readings because they hate all the programming (laughs) but they've been to every convention since the stone age and they're not about to break the habit of a lifetime (laughs) they only read science fiction by dead white dudes Bonus oh, bonus gosh. points is said dead dudes hated women and were a little bit racist. And if oh, it sounds just like the Hugo Awards ceremony. <laughs> yeah. So in fact, the comeback on that is only a little bit racist, <laughs> meaning they're very racist. <laughs> so that's kind yeah. of maybe our fandom put into its little corner. <laughs> Otherwise, they had some, they had some agents. So there's described as tapping on their phones cocktail glasses hollywood so a little <laughs> bit more glamour than we have and and then the table i like was the what they called the ya writers which i guess she is so maybe that's why she's yeah yeah she's um uh thinks of it this way so she says it's a lively table shrieks of laughter littered with empty wine bottles surrounded by chairs <laughs> so sounds like our yeah people, yeah, so that's the kind of people that are at the convention when it gets to later in the evening. I mean, given that there are people in our fandom, as it were, who have been authors, it is funny that none of them seem to have written a novel that actually reflects the kind of fanish lit whatever fandom that we live in. You know, people like Roy Kettle, for example, or Dave Langford, or whatever. Well, didn't uh, Joe Walton do the... Um... Among others. Oh, I haven't read that. Is that Fanish? It's yes. it's not really about sort conventions, of. but it's about her growing up as, as a, a fan. Yes, a bit like you're saying, as oh. as somebody who is into reading science fiction and looking for her tribe or caress. So, and it's got a bit of fantasy thrown in to keep it going, but really a very light smattering of a fantasy tale, and mostly okay. it's about her. Um, reading lots and lots of books and trying to find other people who read lots and lots of science fiction books. Oh, well, we know how to party, don't we? (laughs) (laughs) I suppose I'd rather have one that reflected the fandom that I remember, which, you know, we're almost all dead now, which which involved drinking a lot and sleeping with the wrong people and waking up behind a couch in a pool of your own vomit. (laughs) Not quite, but, you know, perhaps having vomited in... in Damien Roderick wrote a book about uh, fandom transmitters 
I liked that. Yeah. I read that. I, I actually liked yeah. that. I remember that now. My God, I need to reread that ago. really because <laughs> it's been a while. <laughs> did we both get? Did we both get given? Probably, a copy yeah. Of that by Damien. <laughs> There's a lot of mention of old Spanish boyfriends in this edition. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it is funny that all the years that I've railed at fan history, you you really can begin to see, well, I can't begin for me to see the point of fan history when you're at the age where you just want to tell stories about your misspent youth, really. Um, as opposed to, you know, who was at the BSFA in 1957? <laughs> <laughs> this could have been our segue into the Jinga Moulds after it report. <laughs> Talking of new meters, can we have some new music? Come on, Mr. Music Man. My brother volunteered to do you some music if you wanted. But I said, I said, oh, well, Ian, Ian will do the music himself. I, I could, but I'm just using the copyright-free stuff that comes with Garage Band. So you're not yeah. doing your own music? Yeah, but I'm no. a bit bored with it now. No? Yeah. Oh, well, maybe, maybe uh, Tim, if you're listening, can you do some music, please? So, in a fortnight's time on TNH the podcast, we'll be dealing with all the things we couldn't fit into today's, which includes um, an analytic comparison of Hamilton the Musical, now available on Disney Plus, and Black Panther. Are they both as iconic representations of nearly all black films and, and topics as they are ballyhooed to be? Uh, I also hope, Lillian hopes, that she'll finally get to talk about all the interesting series that are on right now, essentially about dysfunctional chosen families who are also superheroes facing the apocalypse. It's because she's been re-watching Buffy and Heroes, both repeated right now on their respective channels, and also the second series of The Umbrella Academy, which I think is brilliant. And I expect we'll also have highs, lows and moans about the weather and probably more on lockdown. Okay, bye-bye from me. Bye from Christina. And goodbye from Ian.